0: Welcome to the Bureau Briefing. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors. They are amazing. Thank you to MailChimp. If you need a marketing platform, MailChimp is so much more than just email. They help you with Facebook ads, with Google ads. You just got to check them out. And the way that you can slice and dice the campaigns, it's beautiful. 10,000 feet. You know, if you need insights into your projects and your people, 10,000 feet is the resourcing tool that can help you with that. And also gather content. Content is always the thing that drags every project down, but when you use Gather Content, you can get a handle on it. And now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to The Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring
1: things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey,
0: everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bureau Briefing. Stopping by today, we have got the principal and owner of Mosaic Resource Group, where she helps project management professionals become the best best they can at their craft it is crystal richards how are you doing crystal
1: i'm doing well carl thanks so much for the awesome introduction
0: well you're welcome and thank you you're going to be one of our speakers at the digital pm summit this september in memphis and i am super excited to hear you talk about dealing with social politics at work now for everybody who's listening give a little bit of background on yourself
1: Sure. Well, I'm excited. Number one, because I love talking about this topic. It's something that really gets the crowd going. I seem to always have the room filled up and just have great conversations. And two, Memphis is uh, kind of my hometown. I'm, I'm an army brat and that's where my father grew up and I, recently moved there uh, four years ago. And I thought I was there to stay and then made some uh, adjustments in my life. I.e. I got married and wow. I moved to the DC area. So I, um, my family's still there. I'm excited to see my folks when I take a visit, but Memphis is always my, my down home hometown.
0: I bet you missed that barbecue, huh?
1: I do. Actually, I miss my dad's <laughs> barbecue more than anything, but they do have some... Memphis is definitely famous for the barbecue. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about your background. So 15 years of doing project management, and I know you were in the healthcare space, right?
1: That's correct.
0: So what were you doing? How did how did you get into project management?
1: You know, it's a funny story. I would say I got into project management like a lot of us. I, I was that accidental project manager. Um, I worked in consulting and, you know, the title they give us is engagement manager or engagement right. leader. And you work with your stakeholders um, for the particular projects that I worked in in healthcare were specific to improving the the hospital billing and registration. So we call it revenue cycle overall. And there was a lot of moving pieces, as you can imagine, from the patient walking in the door to the front desk clerk, to the processing of the paperwork and every step of the way for getting the patient set up for having an appropriate bill going out the door to both their insurance company, as well as to perhaps the patient. And that, right, and that took um, a lot of of management of expectations, um, management of all of the moving pieces of paperwork and improving that overall. And as I went from the private sector side into the federal side, there was a lot more emphasis, right, of, you know, being called a project manager, being, you know, having more of the clear cut skills in managing projects where everything else was kind of flexible. Uh, We weren't quite, we, you know, when I look back, it was project management, but at the time I wasn't a project manager. And so when, when you move in the federal space and there's definitely an emphasis that there are certified project managers doing the work. And when I sat through a, a course on getting my PMP certification, I'm like, huh, so I've been doing all this, just calling it something <laughs> different.
0: Well, now I can truly appreciate your topic uh, with social politics. Having done uh, digital projects for healthcare, and and forget HIP and forget all the compliance stuff. Just some of the sandboxes that are in a hospital.
1: Oh yeah,
0: or they're in that healthcare type thing. So. So how did you navigate that when you're trying, especially with something like billing? You must have a lot of people that as you're going through it, wouldn't even return your call or or have a meeting with you.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's where developing the relationships was key. Um, Yes, I was given the task because I had the skill set of managing the work, but I could not ignore the fact that people – have different opinions about things. They don't always see that just because they get an email from me, they should open it. So it was really about building the rapport with the different types. And that's the other key thing, the different types of groups, just as you said, the sandbox of the clinicians. And even still, they had their own little subset. There were the doctors and then there were the the nurses there was the the rad techs and then dealing with the hospital administration group and even breaking that down you have your executive c suite to the frontline managers to the front front level desk associates who had different perspectives um, and trying to understand where they were coming from and you know we always talk about the voice of the customer what what was going to make them happy in each one of their sandboxes?
0: Right. Because each one of them has well, and I, I know you had mentioned this at one point, either something I read, but about how people have their own agendas. Mm-hmm. But but sometimes it even goes beyond that, right? They've got their own comfort level. So you they may be worried you're going to expose something and they don't even know it's there, right?
1: Right, exactly. Um, so it's always, you know, building that relationship, but always showing them how it could benefit them. You know, this is for the greater good of our patient population. And, you know, when you put it at least in that framework, people... What I found was that regardless of what position you were in the organization, everybody was mission focused in the healthcare organization. You just had to frame it the right way and that takes some skill. Um, yeah <laughs> you know yes, it may have been an edict from the CEO, but sometimes that just wasn't enough. It, you really had to frame it and how this was going to benefit our patient population, and that takes knowing the kind of customer base, knowing what their struggles are, and then being able to kind of bridge that gap and and sharing that concern back up to the chain and, and being able to share it diplomatically and not as to, you know, call anyone out. And, and that definitely takes some uh, massaging and social politicking there. <laughs>
0: I can imagine it takes a a few uh screaming into your pillows at night as well.
1: <laughs> How did you know, Carl? <laughs> How did you know?
0: <laughs> humans, humans it always boils down to humans. So you you take all of this experience from healthcare and then you go into the the federal sector. So what what similarities and differences did you find?
1: Uh, the biggest thing I th- I find that in the private sector it's a little bit more flexible in terms of chain of command. You can, some of your executives are more open door policy or more, you know, if you see them in the hallway, you can have a conversation with them. It's definitely a chain of command perspective, if you will, in, in uh, healthcare, especially the agency that I worked for which is known to be much more chain of command. A lot of folks that have the military background, so that's just their structure that they believe in. So you don't, in a nice way, jump over heads to talk to somebody. Um, you have to go through protocol and, and that takes, that definitely adds to the time. And definitely you build patience in that, in that environment. Um, and it, and it's,
0: it sounds like a voice of experience. Like you may have had a little bit of pain when you first oh, moved into that federal sector.
1: Yes, uh, if if you aren't used to that, it definitely can be a, a rude awakening. I I can, I think the biggest difference in the private sector, it probably would take me weeks to a couple of months to you know effectively build the relationship because of the chain of command that you have to go through in the federal sector. It it probably took me a good 12 months, if not a little oh. bit longer. Um, you know, even I was even though I was in the meetings and I was showing that, you know, I'm there, boots on the ground, as they like to say, um, it was always a, well, what does your boss say about the idea? And I'm like, But but I'm here. <laughs> I'm here with you every day. <laughs> so I would say, Well, my boss agrees with me, you know, let's put it let's bring him on the phone. So, um, it, it definitely takes time.
0: So, so you go through, um, you you work in the private sector, you work in the government, and then you decide to launch your own company. So, talk about that. What what was the the catalyst for you going? All right, I'm going to launch Mosaic Resource Group.
1: I wanted more autonomy in the work that I did. I wanted mm-hmm. the you know kind of creative freedom and and what I work I did and what I sell. Uh, Funny story to this, if anyone who is thinking about going rogue, as I I lovingly say, um, the trajectory at a lot of consulting firms is that you sell to move up. So you sell more work. And I really was focused on my idea of going into consulting for myself was, I just want to focus on doing the work. I I love it. I want to go out there and do the work. So when I set up shop and open my doors, And, you know, my doors are open, but nobody's calling right? (laughs) And I realized, oh, I have to go sell my work. (laughs) So it is uh, one of the best investments I made uh, starting out my business was getting a sales coach and, you know, talking through the process you know, having the full funnel. You you can't just stop at one client. Uh, I, I can think back to it was probably about three months ago. I literally had five potential clients in the hopper. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do if all this work comes at the same <laughs> time? And they for a variety of reasons, they dropped off just one by one. Oh. Except for one who thankfully, you know, it, it paid out literally and figuratively. But that's, you know, one of my, you know, key takeaways for anyone who's interested in going in the business for themselves, always have a full funnel of people because they can just drop like that. And and depending on the industry that you work in and the type of work you do, you could certainly have these lulls in the year. Like, you know, think about holidays, definitely the month of August, you know, everyone's on vacation. So you need to be planning, uh, well ahead in advance, and you know that's where you know even with the conversation that we're talking about with small business ownership, this is where the social politics also comes into play as well. Because when you build, it's not just being in your organization. Even I have to mm-hmm. deal with social politics when I, if, as soon as they sign my contract, you know politics was a reason for me coming into that organization because either someone didn't have the skill set, someone of authority said, Hey, I want to bring crystal in. And there's probably someone in there who was not happy about that decision. And I may have to work directly with them. And that even, I have to start right at the beginning of, you know, building the rapport and having negotiations with them and understanding the dynamics of the power structure in the organization.
0: So what are most of the organizations that you're working with? Like who's hiring you?
1: You know, it is a variety of, um, I have individuals, or I do individual coaching. I have um, a mentoring program called PM Talent. So I have individuals in different organizations, either I've met through networking, or you know at conferences. And then as far as the actual organizations, I'm focused uh, still within healthcare around the life sciences. So here in the Washington D.C. area, which is where I'm located, we have um, huge life sciences representation everywhere from pharmaceuticals to biotechnology. And, um, you know, even though my first love is the hospital side, um, you know, I also have to recognize the sales cycle is a little bit slower versus maybe some of the other uh, organizations. So it's you know kind of nonprofit organizations that deal in the biotechnology or, or public health in that terrain who, who need some help with their project management skill set. So either learning the technical skills or they want foundational, just give me like the throw up list of like everything I need to be thinking about with project management to even just developing the folks that they do have as project managers or their, their position is bona fide project managers, but they've been hitting some stumbling blocks. And when I kind of dig deep, I'm finding that a lot of times it's the soft skills. A lot of them have been promoted yeah. from their technical. They've been a great researcher, uh, a great lab tech, and now they're promoted as the lab research manager or the scientific project manager. And, the whole soft skills thing just is elusive to them. They're like, "What do you mean I had to be nice to you? We used to work together." But <laughs> I, I don't understand. And it's like, no, you. It's a different. It, it is so different. But now that you are the manager, you are. It's lonely at the top, and you have to understand. Yeah. They're looking to you for leadership guidance, but also say it, say it nicely, say it softly. Before we could kid with each other as peers, it's just a different set of of skill sets you have to use now.
0: That's right. If you want people to hear you, you have got to show up in a vulnerable state and explain to them mistakes you have made and then explain to them what you need.
1: Exactly. Right.
0: So I'm curious as you go into this, um, so we've seen at some of our events, uh, we've had people do informal polls and ask, when's the last time you fired somebody for a technical skill and hardly any hands go up. And then you say the last time somebody was fired for a soft skill and all the hands go up. (laughs) Right. And it's like, well, you know, he was a jerk, you know, or she just refused to talk nicely to people or whatever it might be. And obviously it's, it's deeper than that. But what do you find are some of those core soft skills that just aren't in place?
1: You know, I think the biggest one really is the emotional intelligence. I, I know it's been popular. It's kind of squishy. <laughs> but it, it, when there, there's a quote that I, I have in the presentation, um, you know, no matter how smart you are, how brainy, how high of an IQ you have, if you come off abrasive to people, no one's going to want to stick around. To figure out how smart you are. No one's going to want to give you those stretch assignments if you are a jerk at work. And then when you see people who are elevated above you and you don't understand why, you know, you have to kind of look within yourself if you've heard, you've heard, if you've heard time and time again. Now there's a a catch 22. If people don't tell you directly, that's a disservice to you. But I, I think Mm -hmm. for the most part, people know and if you if you know that there's something wrong, um, stop and ask, hey, I noticed this person keeps getting promoted, and we have the same skill level, they've been here the same number of years. Can you give me some feedback as to how I can do that? And then and if you're vulnerable enough to open to that, someone hopefully who you ask is going to be candid enough to say, well, you know, people have a hard time getting to know you. Um, they,
0: you know, Mm -hmm.
1: just like what I've learned as a consultant, people want to do work with me or do want to do work with someone they know, like, and trust. It's no different as a full-time employee. I want to groom you, promote you, give you mentorship. If I know, like, and trust you. And if you put up this wall, if you're abrasive to people, um, it's, it's hard for people to do that. So if you don't have going to the emotional intelligence, if you don't have self-awareness and self-management, uh, those two key skills of emotional intelligence, that those are going to get in the way of you developing relationships with others. And, and you're so fixated on yourself that you're not even aware of how people kind of react or get uncomfortable or, or literally every time you walk into the room, they walk out. You know, those, <laughs> those are all the elements that I'm describing of emotional intelligence. And, you know, I think, you know, there's hope for everybody. If you recognize it and you're willing to change it, you can de- definitely develop those skill sets.
0: You know, it's so funny, but you were also describing my mother-in-law. Because <laughs> <laughs> She walks into a room, people leave. But it, but it was one of those things when I, when I was dating my wife and I remember, uh, my mother-in-law walked in, my soon-to-be mother-in-law walked in, and the two son-in-laws left. And I looked at her and I said, Wow, you must be really mean. She goes, No, but everybody thinks I am. And we just had this great conversation. Oh, that is
1: so funny. Kudos to you for saying something.
0: <laughs> well, I was just like, you know, I got I got I got no stake in this game right now. I just I'm I really like your daughter, but I mean I'm not gonna walk out of the room because you walk in. I mean, what is that? I could still say no. but, but it's funny. <laughs> But right, but it's funny because now, now sometimes when you're working in a certain organization, um, and, and I'm sure with federal you saw this, do you ever go in and you've been asked to coach and you find that the organization itself just kind of disregards soft skills or, or even looks down at them?
1: Oh, sure. Um, you know, this is where, you know, to each his own, um, you, this is where you have to figure out can you thrive in that? And still be true to yourself, or do mm-hmm. you need to liberate yourself and go to an organization that will accept the soft skills if that's what you're looking for? Some people love it, where you know, hey, we're just here about technical skills; we don't care about soft skills. Mm-hmm. And some some people will thrive in it. I will say though that you still run the risk of having a high attrition rate. Um, so. This is where, you know, you have to, even the organization has to look within. I I think if the organization itself is willing to look at it, there's hope. If it's an individual who asks me for advice in a situation and they still go to a stumbling block, that's just where you have to, you know, is it a variety of reasons? Is it enough for you to still stay there? Is it, does the organization uphold your values? Does it still give you the work-life balance that you seek. But if you're miserable, um, you feel unappreciated, you're working on the weekends, your stress level is high, all around it's not a good situation. You may very well need to make the decision to go to an organization that appreciates developing leaders and not robots. That's my short answer on that one. Well,
0: you know, I have to say, I'm so excited to hear your talk because you're not only going to talk about the social politics, but you're going to help people understand how to put together a strategy and a plan Absolutely, to, to move forward. So do you find that, that that's kind of the most difficult part for people is figuring out how to go about implementing a good plan?
1: I do. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I, I really try to focus on in my my talks is that I don't want to just kind of talk about it. I want to be about it, as I say, and I want to give you salient points to take back and practice. It definitely takes practice and patience and the right timing. So, you know, a lot of the the tips that I'm providing, you know, I just don't have at to the top of my head. But you know, it works better when you build the relationships. So, when we talk about how to negotiate, even saying no you can't say no to everybody. Right. (laughs) But if you have that relationship with somebody, you know, I want to give you my honest answer of here's how, uh, here's why I'm saying no, Uh, we've built that relationship. And if they still say, I don't care if it's no, we're, we're doing it anyway, at least they heard me. And I think a lot of times we feel like we can't say no. Um, we just say yes to everything. And then when it doesn't work, we're like, well, I thought you said you could do it. And I think that gets us in trouble as well. Um, So I, I I do believe that, um, you know, it's always about know, know who, who you're talking to, know who the stakeholders are. And we do this all the time. So that's why it's kind of funny, you know, better practice of project managers is stakeholder engagement, So, and you're supposed to know who has high power, who is low interest, et cetera, et cetera. We're doing this anyway. It's just, but we always call it like, I don't want to get into all the politics of the organization. But if you want to know who's going to be your advocate, you should, you are doing it.
0: If you want to stop working on the weekends, (laughs) you need to figure out who's in the organization. Exactly. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody listening does as well. Oh,
1: it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Carl, for this opportunity and kind of uh, do a little preview of uh, the conversations we're going to have.
0: You got it. And I look forward to seeing you back in Memphis, your pseudo right. hometown. Yeah, you know, we got to got to get you back over there. For everybody listening, thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.